Hello, and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it. Uh, so Mark's going to take a few minutes to share with us, then Phil Burden is going to come and share with us, and then uh, Rob Mullane is going to share with us, except that he's not available this morning, so he's kindly done it by video. Uh, so we're going to enjoy that afterwards as well. So we've got a, a, a trio, a holy trio this morning, holy trinity you might even say. Um, that are going to share with us this morning. Um, and I have to say, as I've been chatting to Mark on the phone about what he's going to bring uh, today, uh, I've been so impressed with this man's heart for worship, um, and I know that that's really going to come through this morning. So um, they're going to be uh, often sharing stories as much as anything else. And, uh, and part of our hope and our heart in doing this is not just to be teaching about worship, uh, but to allow some of how that's how that's landing and the journeys of uh, some of our family members of, of worship through the years uh, to kind of spill out um, in our midst this morning. So uh, can we stretch our hands out if you're able? Let's pray for Mark um, as he comes to share with us this morning. Father, I thank you for what you have done in Mark's life. I thank you for the story that you have written. I thank you for the testimony that is here And I pray this morning, God, that by your spirit, you would anoint him to share the work that you have done in his life, Uh, to share with us this morning in a way that that inspires us and hits home deep in our hearts. Lord, may his his journey of, of growing and stretching in worship be one that speaks to us this morning. I pray that you would uh, settle his nerves, bless him with confidence this morning, and that we might hear what you want to speak through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark, over to you, my friend. Morning, everybody. I hope I get through this all right. (laughs) Um, So this morning, I just want to hopefully with my journey, just inspire a couple of people to start a journey of worship wherever you're at. Um, But kind of like learning where I am today, you need to appreciate where I've come from. And I just thought I'd start off with an analogy first of all, and that is my daughter's learning to drive a car at the moment, and there's two aspects to that. There's the theoretical side, and then there's the practical side. And she can get all the theory right and what have you, but practically she's got to climb in the car and she's got to learn how to drive. And that was for me. Uh, worship, you know, I could listen to all the scriptures, I can get all the theory right, but it was about putting it also into practice that made a big uh, difference in my life. Um, But to go back, (coughs) we'd have to go back about 30 years, back to 1993, I was 27 years old, Um, I hadn't been in a church for over 10, 12 years, the church I went to before was very traditional, Um, didn't speak about the Holy Spirit or anything like that. I couldn't sing to save my life, still can't sing to save my life. Uh, um, never taken a drum lesson, just started taking lessons. I just felt that was something that was always inside of me. Started taking the lessons around about 27, 28. Um, worship music to me was as foreign as country music or hip hop, no offense, but it wasn't my cup of tea. I was brought up on 60s and 70s rock. So I was listening to Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Bad Company, Jimi Hendrix, you name it, I was listening to it. All right, so, you know, if you said to me about praise and worship, it wouldn't have been anything that I was ever, ever listening to. But I made a couple of key decisions at that time. Um, Thankfully, I had a brother who got saved, and him and his home group prayed for me for over two years. I finally came to a meeting and I really just felt the Holy Spirit drawing me in for the very first time. I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And I thought, you know what, okay, I'm all in. You know, like a gambler right at the end of it. I'm all in, Lord. If you are real, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to give you everything. And I said the sinner's prayer. I repented of my sins. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I invited the Holy Spirit into my life. Um, Another key decision I made was to get baptized a while later in water. And much, much later, um, also getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. But to appreciate that part of it, um, the Holy Spirit and feeling the presence of God was very, very difficult for me. I would sit there for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, waiting on God, nothing. I used to go for walks, nothing. Um, I even, you know, at the time, experienced with what was a revival. They called it Toronto Bessing. A lot of, I was in a lot of meetings where the Holy Spirit was present uh, in a mighty way. I mean, people were getting... Um, knocked over by the Spirit 20, 30, 40 minutes on the floor, and they would get up at the end of the meeting and just testify of amazing things how God had healed them of, you know, awful things that had happened in their lives, and how God had set them free and all that. So I saw just the, the effects of the Holy Spirit and what God had done in, in these meetings, and I would stand there, I would be prayed for, nothing. I would have people around me, five, six, seven people praying for me, nothing. They would all be falling over, I'd be standing there. <laughs> I remember even once a guy praying for me, he was getting so frustrated, he was literally headbutting me, um, you know, in the stomach saying, Lord, please get through to this guy. And I just, it was all in my head. I just couldn't figure this lot out. Um, and then another thing that happened at the time, God gave me a, a, a clear dream, and I just felt in that dream that I had to give up secular music. Um, and that was a big thing for me back then, you know, to give up my music totally. Um, and just in the obedience of God, I just, um, I gave up. All, all secular music, but what it did for me in those early days was it just started a, 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 such a fantastic foundation in my life. You know, I was getting a lot of the word, I was in prayer meetings, and I was listening to praise and worship music all day long. I would listen to it in the morning before going to work, I'd listen to it in the afternoon, evening, anytime I had a chance, I'd listen to worship. But what that developed inside of me was a heart of worship and also it, 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 it just got me that it was a lifestyle of worship. It wasn't just about Sundays. It wasn't just about the odd meeting where you got together. Most of my worship today, and it still continues for 30 years, I listen in the morning. Any time I get an opportunity where I can, the first thing I ever do is put on praise and worship music before I listen to any other music. And I always keep it in a proportion of more worship and less secular. Um, but, but that's just developed a lifestyle. So when I come in here on a Sunday, that's just an extension of my worship of what I've been doing Monday to Saturday before I walk in the building. Um, and 95% of my worship is done personally between me and God. Um, I can honestly say that it's just helped me so much in my life. Um, but the other thing that it helped me do was just to um, not to focus so much on the words, because as I was listening to the music, I, I got to know the words and everything, so I could sit here, because I'm easily distracted. You know, when these guys are doing the, the guitar falls and the drums doing their stuff, I'm listening as a musician and trying to pick up on stuff, and I can easily be distracted. So what that gave me was an opportunity to learn the words, and when I come here, I can close my eyes, and I can just focus on God and, and just draw in everything. Um, the other thing that was very foreign to me was putting up my hands. Um, I remember seeing people and I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to give it a bash. Um, and uh, I remember the first time I putting up my hands, my arms felt like lead, you know, lead pipes. It was just like, and it was so unnatural and what have you. But as I've done it and grown with it, it's as natural as breathing now when I'm worshiping God. It's just, I don't even think about it. It's just an extension 
of my worship. But the other thing that was so difficult for me was actually kneeling. You know, kneeling is, is dying to the flesh. It's a humbling experience, um, and it wasn't easy. Again, my legs, my legs probably felt like steel rods at the time. Um, but I remember going to a Christian uh, rock festival in America called Cornerstone, and this was like the Woodstock of rock music. There was 180 bands playing over five days. I was in musical heaven, and uh, I remember it was about midnight, and all the, everything had closed, and there was just this one tent with a bunch of guys just playing their djembes and shakers and what have you. And uh, I went in, and we just had an awesome time of worship. But I remember this guy walking into the tent, and uh, just bearing in mind it had rained the night before, so there was mud and wet and everything. And he just walked into the tent, and just after a period of time, I just saw him just drop to his knees, and he was just there, just in total abandonment um, before God. He didn't worry about anything else. He was just there focusing on God. And I just looked at that and I thought to myself, you know what? That is the worship I want to be. And I just asked God to help me and, and, and to grow into that type of worshiper. And that's what I did. I just focused on just being totally focused on God when I come, when I come into his presence and, and just worshiping him. Um, but you know, just to give you some practical live testimonies, I mean, not so long ago, um, Rachel inv invited us to the front if anybody wanted a fresh touch from God. And I just remember saying, yeah, I really need a fresh, a fresh touch today. And I came to the front, and as soon as I got, the, I was feeling nothing in my seat. As soon as I got to the front, and I put my hands out, and I said, God, I just need a fresh touch from you today. The Holy Spirit just came upon me in such a big way. Um, uh, I remember not so long, two, three weeks ago, God just saying, I just saw a picture of somebody on their knees, and I just fell to my knees, and I just started worshiping God, and the Holy Spirit just impacted me, and I was in tears for a good 15, 20 minutes on the floor, just worshiping God and that, and, you know, all I can do is just encourage you wherever you are today, no matter what, where you're at, just, just start, just start a, a new journey, just ask God to help you, you know, just to start this journey of worshiping Him more, um, whether it's putting your hands up for the first time, coming to the front or anything. Um, but to me, the, the key also is, is just ushering in the presence of God. You know, if we, I see worship as, 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 as important as prayer and everything else. It's pushing back the darkness and it's allowing God's presence to come into this building. And I truly believe that, you know, when, when anointing is here, people can be set free. Of to, you know, my heart just longs for people to be, uh, you know, to be healed and things like that in, in worship. But, and if I can encourage you, I'll just give you two Two stories and then I'll finish. <laughs> uh, one is, you know, I was involved in the Psalm Drummers years ago and just a bunch of Christians that got together once a month and we used to worship with our djembes and shakers and everything else. And there was a, uh, a prayer team next door that were interceding and whatever you in the church that we were practicing at. And I remember them saying, oh, would you guys mind just come over and just playing a little bit over us while we're praying and that. And we said, yeah, no problem, we'd love to do that. And we went inside there and we were just playing and worshipping God. And, um, you know, next month when we, we got back to meet again, you know, we got the feedback from them that said, you know, that while we were playing over them, the Spirit of God, they could just feel it so tangible in the, in the, in the building. And, you know, this is a bunch of intercessors <laughs> who can feel the Spirit of God. But just while we were playing, they really felt the presence of God. So, you know, just we, we can't see what's happening in the spiritual realm, but it's, but it's happening. And, and, you know, worship can be so effective. Um, and the last story I want to leave you with is, uh, <laughs> I read one of my CDs I had. It was a, a, 
a worship group in America called Morningstar, and they had a, a four-day event um, where they were just worshiping, and on the fourth day, um, everybody was just on their knees. I mean, the, the building was silent. You could hear a pin drop, and um, the recording guys actually noticed that the needles were actually moving on the recording of the thing, even though the, the building, you know, there was complete silence. So, you know, that, that's how tangible the Holy Spirit was, and that's just my heart, you know, is just to see the presence of God. You know, as we just come in and give 100%, you know, let's see what God can do in this place. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Mark. It was amazing to hear your heart and just the journey that the Lord has led you on. And I'm sure there'll be many of us that can resonate with those moments of like, oh, we, we feel like we pray for something and we feel nothing and we pray and we feel nothing. And, and yet something in us still yearns to experience more of his presence. And I think your story just does a brilliant job of, uh, of giving us hope um, as well as faith that actually that, uh, that is a real possibility for, for all of us. Um, can I invite Phil? Where's Phil? Come on up, Phil. Let's give Phil a round of applause. <laughs> and again, let's take a moment to pray uh, for Phil. Father, we thank you for Phil. Thank you for his heart for worship. Uh, thank you for the way that that has come through in the conversations I've had with Phil. Um, and I pray this morning, God, that once again you would bless him uh, and anoint him as he comes to share the things that are on his heart with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Over to you, Phil. Thank you. I'm going to sit at the piano, not used to standing up. <laughs> Good morning. I'd like just to share something about Jim that you probably don't know. A couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I thought you'd gone out. A couple of weeks ago, he mentioned he'd got first prize in the cornet, uh, trumpet competition, was it? And years ago, Jim used to be in our church at West End Chapel, Fairham, and he was the trumpet section, and he used to come first every week, in my view. He was the only trumpeter in the trumpet section. <laughs> but I think he should get it out again. <laughs> so I do encourage him. So when I swear my heart for worship lay, uh, it can be summed up in one of the many musicians' prayers. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but there are several if you Google them. But this one is particularly close to my heart. Lord, let me be an instrument in tune with your perfect will. May I play your melody, yet know when to be still. May everyone who listens feel your presence, Lord, and recognise my love for you in every note and chord. And incidentally, who can tell me in the Bible where musical instruments are first mentioned? Does anybody know? Jubal. Jubal is Genesis 4, that's correct. Actually, Tubal Cain was his brother-in-law, and he actually forged um, presumably instruments, but other tools as well from iron and bronze, evidently. Um, it's quite interesting. And instruments are mentioned uh, probably well over 500 times, if not over 1,000 times in the Bible, but that's not totally clear. There's a lot of references. Um, 
But worship just doesn't mean playing the piano or keyboard, as I do leading the traditional service sometimes in the North Building, or the bands and singers here in the South. We can all be instruments of worship. And this morning I particularly felt led to talk about those of us who have suffered or are currently suffering from health issues. And you might now be thinking, what's that got to do with worship? Well, let me try to put some context around that. Back in October, Jim reminded us of our motto text in 2020, God is doing a new thing. And Adam preached after Jim's introduction on stretching forward. And Emily, in her gospel message when the baptisms took place, mentioned her concern for those suffering a crisis in their lives, maybe physical or mental health problems. And I'm aware that there's many here that are probably suffering from uh, those issues and uh, crisis in your life. So you might also remember the song immediately after Emily spoke, which started, You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fall, feet feet may fail. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story, not my testimony. I've been a Christian since the age of 10, but um, my feet failed. I used to play hockey for West Wiltshire and Barclays Bank in my teen teenage years and um, I played most Saturdays and also um, just picking up on something Mark mentioned my love apart from hockey was also with music and I was playing sort of Simon and Garfunkel and the Beatles um, probably in preference to worship music back then although I did play at church and There was no music shop in Warminster where I lived, and the nearest one was Froome, so I had to cycle seven miles there, seven miles back, to pick up the sheet music, which was freely available for the number one song that week. And I remember, this won't mean anything to you youngsters, but it cost one and six. Very cheap. I think that's about seven and a half P in today's money. But uh, 48 years ago, this very month, I was playing in Westbury Wilts when I collapsed and was unable to get up. I don't know what happened, I wasn't in a a tackle or anything like that as far as I knew, and I was eventually carried off to the side of the field and left for about 20 minutes before they just decided to take me to the local hospital in Westbury, where I had to wait for a doctor, and the doctor, the last thing I can remember was him putting a needle in my leg saying, can you feel that? And I said, no. And I was completely paralysed on the right-hand side. It was as if a line had drawn in half. And um, uh, I was then fast-tracked to Frenchay Hospital in Bristol, where uh, the neurological hospital, which was the nearest one. So it took quite a while. Those of you who've had strokes um, will, will know if you had one back in those days. There was very little known about them. Today, if you can get to a hospital within 20 minutes or some say two hours, they can reverse the effects. But they didn't really know what had happened to me. Um, They put me on an anticoagulant, not knowing whether it was a bleed or uh, a clot. Um, God knew, because I'm here today. But uh, my parents were told that they didn't know whether I would get through the night. Sorry, just forgive my emotion. 
Anyway, there was loads of prayer given up. My brother, actually, who was working in a hospital not too far from Frenchay, uh, was the first one to visit me that evening. And I remember ask, trying to ask him what had happened, and words came out of my... No, a noise came out of my mouth. I knew what I wanted to ask. I was saying, what's happened to me? But it was just gook. Jackie would probably tell you that still gook comes out of my mouth now. <laughs> but... Um, they, on, I think it was probably on the Monday when consultants came round. I can remember them stood at the foot of my bed, and I was still paralysed. I couldn't, I couldn't even read because if I held a, a book in front of me, my right it, after the first word, it would be out of focus. Anyway, um, I tried every morning. They told me that they thought I'd walk again in a few weeks or months, but I wouldn't use my right hand again. And uh, being a keyboard player, piano player, uh, I found that hard to take. And they even sent an occupational therapist in to try and teach me to write with my left hand and do intricate things. And um, I I wasn't very pleased about that. Um, Probably wasn't very nice to her. Every morning, I tried to stretch forward. um, And we've heard that stretching forward. This was in the physical sense. But I tried to, to, I lifted my hand up, and interesting, Mark said that when he first lifted his hands up, they felt like lead. If you've ever had a paralysis, you'll know how heavy your limbs feel. And even to lift it up was quite difficult. But I tried to stretch my thumb forward several times, certainly first thing when I woke up. Monday, nothing happened. Tuesday, nothing happened. Wednesday, nothing. Thursday, nothing. Friday, nothing. Saturday, in the morning, my thumb just moved like that. It still makes me feel emotional when I tell this story. By the evening, I could do this with my hand. <laughs> so, God allows us to go through periods of adversity. And by the way, it was worth having a stroke because that's where I met my wife, Jackie. <laughs> I praise God for that. Um, She's looked after me so well all these years. But why didn't God heal me completely? Um, I haven't asked that very often, but I have thought about it, and I can honestly say I've never felt bitter. But God allows us to go through periods of adversity for a reason. You remember the Apostle Paul having a thorn in the flesh. We read about that in 2 Corinthians 12. And three times he pleaded with the Lord for it to be removed. But the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So why didn't God heal me completely? Well, like Mark, I didn't know he was going to share that. But I think if he'd healed me completely, I may well have gone back to my love of hockey, my love of uh, secular music. And God didn't want me to do that. So uh, that's why. And there have been incidents where I've been able to help others who have had strokes, because I can honestly say I've been there. And um, one instance is where I met a girl of only 20 years old in Hasler. I just had a back operation there, and I was on my day of discharge. And I went to visit her, and I remember holding her hand and praying and encouraging her to move, as I did. Because God doesn't always do things. Sometimes we pray and um, expect God to work when we can do ourselves do things ourselves, and I, I had to stretch forward to make that happen, but God allowed it to happen. 
in the way he wanted. There's one more incident um, that I'd like to share where unexpectedly worship had its place. Back in 1997, just 18 months after my father died, my eldest brother Trevor, after an extended period of depression, walked into the sea off Sandidno East Beach. Some of you may know that, where, where that is. It, the weather was not good. The Force 5 gale was blowing, and whilst the policeman had a torch trained on him for as long as he could, and the inshore and offshore lifeboats were launched, and an air sea rescue helicopter searched all night, but to this day his body's never been found. Now I had to ring my old, only other brother Paul, who lives in Bristol, and we arranged up to meet in West Moors, Ferndown, before visiting my mum to give her the news about her eldest son. She greeted us with a smile and was so pleased to see us. She thought we'd planned a surprise visit and was so, um, because it would have been their wedding anniversary, neither Paul nor I had recognised it was February the 12th and the significance of that date. As we told her the news, she immediately phoned one of the elders of the church down there at West Moors, and he, Stephen Gillam, I know Ian will know him, Ian and Mary, um, came in and prayed with us. My brother and I sat opposite Mum and Stephen, and there was an empty chair next to my mum. And after some prayer and some tears, my mum suddenly declared that whilst we were praying, she felt that the Lord Jesus sitting on the chair by her side I've never forgotten that moment as she declared the very real presence of the Lord sitting next to her, uh, surely worshipping her Lord and Saviour and acknowledging that in a time of deep adversity and anguish. And if you're in that place this morning, you've got either an empty chair or even someone sitting next to you, be assured that Jesus is there with you. He's promised to be. He's promised never leave us or forsake us. So he's there. So if you're going through such a time, whether it be physical or mental health issues, thank God for the situation you're in. Lift up your hands in his name and stretch forward and seek God's face in encouraging someone because you can honestly say, I know what you're going through because God's permitted you to, to be in that place. Doing this is like laying your life at the feet of Jesus just as Mary did in her worship to the Lord and Saviour. So our worship's just so much more than just playing an instrument or singing, but doing his bidding in our lives can be worship, and collectively we can all be instruments of worship, forming a symphony of worship. So individually, together, we come, and it's so much better. Um, those of you who love going to see orchestras, it's just wonderful um, how the sound comes together, and that's what happens when we corporately worship God whether we're traditional or contemporary, it doesn't matter. Um, and there's no difference between us. It's not a we don't like that or we don't like that. It's just a different way of worshipping. And I'm sure that even within our own expressions of worship, there are different expressions of worship. Um, I know I get told off sometimes if I play the wrong tune over there. Um, but uh, Gemma's going to lead us in a song now. It's called, I'm sure that many of you probably know it, it's called, Lord, Make Me an Instrument. So that's my heart for worship in the best and worst of times, as Graham put it in his song, for the joys and for the sorrows. For this we have Jesus. My prayer for you, especially if you are suffering from some crisis, is that you will find Jesus is sat right next to you and you can acknowledge him and by so doing, bring praise and worship to him. May God bless you all.
Thank you, Phil. Beautiful to hear your story of stretching uh, forward and how worship has played such an important part uh, in your life. And uh, yeah, what a wonderful picture that we together can be an instrument of worship and the sound of our worship comes together. Uh, so we're going to go for one more uh, from Rob Mullane, um, who's done a video for us. So we're going to play that video and then we'll um, have a time of worship together. Good morning, Waypoint. So sorry I can't be there in person, but through the marvels of technology, here I am, I'm able to share a few thoughts on worship. So a few weeks ago, Adam and Jim approached me and asked whether I'd be willing to share some of my thoughts on worship as part of this worship series, Worship Fit for a King. And I'm humbled, genuinely humbled that I asked. And yeah, I love the opportunity to be able to do that. It's a, it's a huge, huge task uh, and um, quite daunting when we think, you know, what could we speak of. But as I dwelt and prayed on that, I was drawn to a particular passage, and uh, interesting enough, and um, story that Adam actually referred to last week, actually. And it's a story of Mary when she anointed Jesus' feet with the perfume. And I read that um, a little while ago, back at the end of the summer, actually, and a few things jumped out at me at that, which I hadn't really um, thought of before. And when they approached me, they thought, oh, maybe that's why. And God was putting on my heart these few things to be able to share. Um, I'd love to read the passage, actually. Uh, this uh, from John's account. And this is John 12, and verses 1 to 3. That Jesus anointed at Bethany. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance I mean, it's an incredible sort of picture of you know, extravagance, and I think again that was what's been um, picked up on last week, and uh, it's very encouraging actually because I didn't know Adam was going to speak on that, um, but this was a thing that was that was put on my heart, and yeah, as a picture of extravagance in worship, um, it's a very very powerful picture. Um, two things jumped out. Um, of that passage to me, which I want to share very briefly. The first, again, is this idea that you know, this was a perfume. It was an expensive perfume. It was broken. It was broken on the feet of Jesus um, as, as an act of, of worship. And what struck me about this is that perfume would have filled the room. Um, it, I'm imagining this is a busy dinner party. There's lots of people. There's lots of things going on. Um, much like, in my, I guess, day-to-day lives, isn't it? And with distractions and all sorts, of, you know, very practical things going on. But Mary came in and she perfume, broke it and poured it on his feet. Now, the very physical act of doing that would have filled the room with this fragrance. Um, and everybody would have, would have noticed that. And that's the first thing that sort of jumped out a little bit at me, is that sense of, you know, I guess it boils down to this, the, the extravagant act of one person's worship 
drew the attention. So Jesus, everybody at that point would have been aware of what's going on because they could have smelt the fragrance. And so with all the sort of the business of the dinner party, the, the, the serving of the food, the cookings of the food, the conversations, everything that was going on which would have been, would have been happening, suddenly everyone's attention would have been drawn to Mary and Jesus. And I think that's a, that's a really powerful thing in that, that you know, a genuine extravagant worship you know, can change the atmosphere. It takes one person, that's that story. It, one person's extravagant act of worship drew the attention of a whole room to Jesus. And that's a powerful thing. Um, it would have filled the room, places where they probably even weren't aware, like kitchens, outside, maybe even outside. I don't know. But people were aware something had happened. And it comes down to, I think, that sometimes worship, that it changes atmospheres. It changes atmospheres. I mean, I love going into old churches. Always have done, even before I, I became a Christian. And there's something about those old buildings. Hundreds and sometimes thousands of years of worship have no, it's almost like it's soaked into the very stones and something in your spirit resonates in that. I believe worship changes atmosphere, it changes that. Secondly, and this, again, this jumps out, and this was, might be not new to everyone else, but it was certainly, I guess, a new revelation to me. And from John's account, it says she wiped his feet with her hair. And what struck me about that, one, it's a very intimate thing to, be able to do, but secondly, that perfume would have got on her. It was on her hands, it would have been in her hair, it would have been on her. And so when she got up and left, she took that fragrance with her. And that became, it's quite a, quite a significant and powerful thing. Here is someone whose extravagant, selfless act of worship, totally focused on Jesus. Firstly, changed the atmosphere and drew everyone's attention to Jesus. But secondly, she herself, left smelling like Jesus. She took the fragrance with her as she left that place. So even though her entire intentions were focused on him, she still left changed. And that's a powerful thing for me as well, that worship changes us. We should expect that if we encounter Jesus, I wish we will do it in worship, no, he says he inhabits the praises of our people, something else no, we've been referenced to. We know he promises to be amongst us. And to be fair, we need to have a, you know, a wider view. It's not just some worship, but some worship is very powerful. You know, worship is a much, much, much bigger thing than just some. Okay. Um, if anything, it gives him honour. And when we honour him with our actions, we honour him in our prayers, in the, in the, the word, um, it's all acts of worship. Um, when we give to the poor, when we serve others as acts of worship, and he's honoured, you know, and we, we change atmospheres, and we ourselves are changed in there. Um, and it's a, it, was, yeah, it was a really powerful sort of a picture for me, that she was changed by that. So that is reflecting, how does that impact, you know, practically, myself and Karen, as we, as we lead, lead worship, you know, as all worship leaders do. And, Again, many years ago, I was given a, well, I was personally given it, I was in the room with other worship leaders. And uh, we were talking and discussing about you know, the various practicalities of worship. 
But the present were a few pastors, and there was this one pastor, an, an older guy, who had been leading a church, in a city church, not a big one, not a wealthy church. No. And uh, it's a sort of place where on Sunday mornings, 30, 40 people, half of those were there because they hadn't managed to get home yet. The other half were there because they had no home to go to. It was a very um, mixed congregation. Um, and you never knew who was going to come through the door. He had no full-time worship leaders and teams and stuff like that. And he would often ask worship leaders to come in and just you know, leave the church. And he was asked this question, what do you want out of a worship leader? And he gave this very simple reply, rather than a big list of facts. He painted a picture, again, a powerful picture. And he said, what I want from a worship leader? You know, it's this, it's this. Someone who, you know, basically, can take the, you know, um, get the bride, which is us, the church, to gaze upon the groom, Jesus, and get out of the way. And that's resonated again with me and stuck with me ever since. And if anything, that has moulded and shaped the way Karen and I lead worship ever since. In that we, will, we want to get church to gaze upon Jesus and Jesus alone and nothing else. In fact, going back to the passage, it's our job. Let's think about that dinner party. It's a crowded, crowded room. There's a lot going on. Sometimes it's not easy to get to Jesus. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you just go in and there you see him. But the role of our worship is to get to him and pour our perfume upon him. Now, sometimes the role of the worship leader is to guide us through that crowd so that when we get to the feet of Jesus, we can pour out our perfume. Now, we can't do that for you. Everyone you know, pours out their worship in, in their own way. But I think sometimes the role of the worship leader is to, to guide you through that crowd, but not be in the way. As he said, nobody wants to be stuck between the gaze between the bride and the groom on, the, on their wedding day. And for, for us, if we can you know, get people to a place where they encounter Jesus and they pour out their worship, and, and then we've done our job. And with that, the atmosphere is changing, people's lives are changing. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful role, and not one that we hold no, lightly. I mean, it's such an honour, such a privilege to be able to do this, um, and to, to lead here, actually. Um, here at Waypoint, again, just to say it, it's a real pleasure and honour for Karen and I to be here, that you've trusted us with this with this role, and uh, it's something we we thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. So, um, yeah, I really, really hope um, that's encouraging to you and helpful. And as we move forward in the series, which I think has been fantastic, actually, we loved every minute of it, I would strongly just know in, to encourage you to, to, in our times of worship, just to find Jesus, focus on him, and just pour out your extravagant worship at this time and he will meet with you um, I'm absolutely sure of that so yeah, thank you for listening and uh, yeah we will see you all very soon he's not in the room but let's give him a round of applause anyway shall we he can be encouraged when he watches the live stream back and hears your applause so. uh, can I invite us to stand together if you're able um, let's Take a bit of time in our worship now to do what Rob was just saying there, to find Jesus. 
to find Jesus, to pour ourselves out upon him. Um, I loved the phrase that Rob used when he said, one person can change the atmosphere. Will you be that person this morning? Will I be that person this morning that changes the atmosphere, that begins to fill this room with the fragrance that pleases the Lord? I love that both uh, Mark and Phil were talking about these moments where, where your arms might feel like lead weights, or your, I think you've referred to your legs like metal pipes or something when it came to getting on your knees before God. Sometimes that's the reality, isn't it? When we're trying to begin stretching, things can feel hard. But before we even sing a song this morning, can I invite you to do something, if you're willing, and stretch, literally, right now, just, just physically, wherever you are. Just, just stretch as wide as you can, as, as high as you're able. Do you feel, do you feel the muscles? Do you feel, you feel the stretch, don't you? You feel the stretch. This is a, you know, it's like a gymnasium this morning that we're, we're practicing together the expression of worship, we're, we're getting ready to enlarge the window through which those around us will see who Jesus really is. And so I'm going to pray for us, and like we did last time, I'm not going to be prescriptive, but sometimes when we just do that physical stretch, it releases us to do something we weren't doing before. When we've been sitting down and we stretch... We stop stretching, but then we're ready to walk, or we're ready to run. And so as we spend some time in worship this morning, I just want to permission us and encourage us. Maybe do something you haven't done before. If your arms feel like lead weights this morning, maybe it's a moment just to say, Jesus, you're worth it. Come and meet me in the stretch. If your legs feel like lead pipes, maybe it's a moment to bend the knees and say, Jesus, you're worth it. Come and meet me in the stretch. So Father, as we've listened to stories from our family of stretching in worship, we pray, Holy Spirit, come and meet us in the stretch this morning. Help us to enlarge our expression of, of worship that you might be more visible. And that you might be more blessed and you might be more pleased with the fragrance that fills this room. Help us, Lord, this morning to push through where the stretching feels heavy or hard. But I pray for freedom this morning. Freedom in our spirits, freedom in our bodies, freedom in our hearts to be more authentic with you. To feel like we're free not to hold things inside, but to let it out. Because you're worth it, Jesus. And so we invite you as we worship right now, would you meet us in the stretch and inhabit our praises, we pray. In Jesus' name.